0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports, whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan. This is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Bozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Wednesday, January 25th. We're back with another episode on a Wednesday today. It's, it's a little bit later than we wanted to get it out, but that's all right. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL football from this past weekend, conference championship, or sorry, divisional round. And then we're going to be previewing the conference championships for this coming weekend. And then we're going to have a college football topic. It's actually talking about an NIL deal that fell through um, with the kid with, and this is kind of like the first big fall through with, with an NIL deal that we've seen so far. So we're going to be talking about that, kind of given our, our perspective on it, our thoughts on it, how it affects NIL as a future part of college football how it affects college football as a whole and then also how it affects the team and the coach and the player involved and then our last topic is going to be a little nba topic talking about the all-star game because if you haven't heard there's been some changes to how the all-star game is going to work this year and so yeah it's actually a pretty cool episode today we've got a couple a couple of like overall topics that are that are going to be cool to talk about it's not too much of a specific day today we're kind of just Overviewing things and then talking about things that may be controversial, maybe not controversial, everything like that. So it's going to be a fun day today. Are you excited, Matt?
1: I'm super excited. And usually I have uh, more to say at this point in the in the broadcast, because Hayden is usually going off on tangents about his French homework or any other personal anecdotes that don't really not really much money else people care about. Um, maybe I need to do some personal anecdotes on my English speaking abilities. Cause I kind of messed up that sentence there, yeah. but, uh, yes, he went over everything that we're going to be talking about and what better way than just get kind of dive right into it. I'm super excited. Obviously lots of football played this weekend. Um, and then as he's mentioned a cool college football, story. well, cool college football story. Interesting. Uh, compelling, I think would probably be the best word. It's, it's not cool for some of the people involved. Um, And then obviously the NBA all-star game. So uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, just for one little anecdote, uh, it was a very dreary day today in Charlottesville. It was raining all day. I had to walk to class in the rain, but I used my new rain jacket that I got for Christmas. So that's that's something there for you, Matt. What do you think about that? Uh,
1: that that's exactly what I needed to hear. And, and yeah. you know, the people who are on their walk or in their car or maybe even just laying in bed, you know, listening to our podcast, uh, you know, just just wanting to wanting to soak up all of this sports information, this knowledge that we're presenting uh, now know that you have a raincoat. And, and that's that's really what they came here for, I'm sure. And especially that we're leading the episode. with it, So I love that. Thank you, Hayden.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're laying in bed, listening to this, shout out to you. All right. Moving into the NFL here real quick. So the conference championships are set and we have more or less the same teams that we all expected to get here. We've got the one and three seed from the AFC and then the one and two seed from the NFC three. The only non one or two seed in the, in the conference championships uh, is the Bengals. But again, a lot of people kind of expected them to get there. I didn't, then we'll kind of go over that later, but yeah, Sunday's games came as a surprise to most of us with the Bengals blowing out the Bills and the 49ers only beating the Cowboys by a touchdown while also being held under 20 points as a team. So I'm gonna pose this question to Matt, kind of just see where his head is at with everything. What were your reactions to these to these teams in particular? And how do we kind of gather all this?
1: So, first I want to start out by exclaiming or with the exclaimer that uh, if you listen to our playoff predictions, basically before the playoffs started, we we kind of did our own brackets, right? Of who we think, who we thought we were going to win into the games. We set up the whole, you know, the whole conference championship, the, the Super Bowl. We we gave our Super Bowl winners. And I would just like to point out the fact that I got have gotten to this point nine out of ten games correctly. The only game I missed was that I had the Bucks beating the Cowboys in the wild card round. Every other game I've gotten right. The Giants upset over the Vikings. The Chargers insane or the. Um, The Jaguars and saying come back over the Chargers, uh, as well as even Cincinnati going into Buffalo and beating the Bills this past weekend. So I've had a at least a pretty good read on what I thought was going to happen, and that really has come true uh, up until this point. And I think that pretty much my convictions regarding all the teams that were in the playoffs and all the teams that are left in the playoffs, like I had them here for a reason. I mean, you know, the four teams that are left right now, those are the teams that I had facing up in the conference championship games. Obviously. It's not some crazy, you know, March Madness thing where like I have a 15 seed in the Final Four. It's the one and the two seed in the uh, in the uh, in the NFC, and it's the one and three seed in the AFC. Uh, but I think that that really is what speaks out to me about kind of the teams that are left, how the playoffs have gone so far, and that's pretty much what answers Hayden Hayden's question is. Kind of, you know, what are your reads on the teams? Well, the read the read my read at least on these teams that are remaining and kind of the games is that these are the best four teams in the league, right? And I think that's. The good part about this is that you know it, it's people argue what oh the you know one seed is the only team that gets a first round buy it used to be the you know the number one and the number two seed got the first round buys and oh you know you're arguing over who's playing at home and then if we're gonna play a you know a neutral site AFC championship game guess what it all worked out we have the four best teams and these are gonna be some really great games coming up this weekend just a little note before I even kind of give them the analysis here. This is, I believe, the first time in, like, I think it was 10 or 11 years I saw this on Twitter somewhere, so who knows, but I mean, I'm pretty sure it's actually true, because I, the guy that I follow, you know, I, I, I trust that that his uh, his stats are correct, but he said, I think this is the first time in, in 10 years or so, maybe even longer. Okay, so I just actually looked it up. This is the first time in 15 years that the point spread in the, both of the championship games have been less than three points, which the Eagles are favored by two and a half and then the Bengals are favored by one and a half. Obviously some of that depends on injury with with Mahomes and, and Jalen hurts and whatever. But um, I think that speaks to the fact that usually these games are not actually supposed to be that great. I mean, you know, they do turn into great games. Obviously last year, the, the I mean, it's a rematch, obviously the Bengals and the chiefs, uh, you know, the chiefs go up 21, nothing and the Bengals come back and win the game. Like that was an insane game, but the chiefs were favored by, you know, I think five, six, seven points, something like that. So just off the jump, like these games are projected to be very close games. And I think that that is true because, right, these are, you know, these are the four best teams, These are the teams that everybody kind of thought would get here, uh, despite obviously some, you know, right. The Cowboys, obviously it's America's team, whatever Uh, they shoot, they show their true colors and and Dak definitely didn't step up there, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I think that that's, that's the overarching point that I'm at least taking away from is the fact that we, we do have the four best teams and obviously the chiefs and the Eagles were, were both very heavily favored to win their games and they both won their games by, you know, at least touchdown each, obviously the Eagles kind of crushed the crushed the giants, but we saw that coming. Right. So um, I think that the interesting thing was kind of just, well, I mean, obviously the 49ers were also favored. They won too. And I think the only, I mean, really the only upset was the Bengals. But like I said, I picked it. Hayden said that, you know, few people could 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 have kind of seen that coming a little bit. But the interesting thing is that, and again, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always betting on the games and everything. And so the interesting thing was that early in the week, the Bills are favored by three and a half points. And by the time the game started, they got up to six points. And usually what that means is, the sports books are changing the lines because they are anticipating the amount of money and also, you know, reacting to the amount of money that they are getting bet on that certain team, right, which means that it basically, you know, the whole world was betting on the bills and, and so it just kind of moved the point spread up higher and I'm sitting here like I would have taken the bangle I would have bet on the bangles at three and a half now I got six points like give me that, you know, all day and then it, it really wasn't even a game so I think that obviously that's the most surprising uh, surprising result. And I'll just kind of kind of go over this here, you know, for just specifically this game. I'll kind of hand it over to Hayden after this. But it, it the reason that I picked the Bills to win this or sorry, picked the Bengals to win this game in the first place is the is, is exactly what we saw, you know, turn out in the game. I said they don't have a run game and they don't have a defense that is as healthy as it was earlier in the season when they were getting a pass rush and they had all their defensive backs healthy, right? And and that we saw that play out like word for word almost. I mean, you know, the, the offense can be broken down into passing game and running game, and then obviously you're you're facing off against the defense. The Bills' passing game is great. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis—they're making plays, right? But their running game is non-existent, and their defense is beat up. And so, two out of those three, you know, hugest components of a football game they basically have none of, and, and the Bengals obviously have all three, right? They don't have defensive stars realistically, but Lou Amarillo, their their defensive coordinator utilizes the talent that he has and makes it work for the defensive schemes that he builds up or that he, you know, goes out there and, and, and institutes. And then obviously on offense, like, we know what the Bengals have. I mean, they have the best receivers in the league. Uh, you obviously have Joe Burrow, who's, who's just, you know, I mean, he's the coldest person on the face of the earth. Um, and their defense, like I said, is, you know, is, is really good as well. And then the running game, that, that was kind of what I was, doing, I was missing. Joe Mixon's good. He's been good ever since he was in the league. He was good at Oklahoma. He's still good now. Samaj P. Ryan, who also went to Oklahoma, um, is basically I mean he's he's like kind of a wrecking ball like he's almost you know just as good as as Joe Mixon so they're really interchangeable and and I think that the story going into this game was that the Bengals obviously their offensive line was hurt right they were missing three out of their five offensive linemen how are they going to handle you know how, or how they're going to face up against this Bill's defense which is has is statistically good across the regular season but has really only been losing more people. Von Miller was out, I think week, you know, week five or six earlier in the year. He was out for the season. Um, obviously, you know, Ed Oliver's still really good. Um, Joe Russo was really good. You know, is really good. So you like you can name people, but it's just they weren't really getting. Pass rush. They weren't really able to stop the run, at least in these last couple of regular season games, as well as uh, obviously the you know, the playoff game, the first playoff game against the against the Dolphins. Um, we saw that the, you know they weren't really able to stop it. And I I told uh, or that's kind of what I said on the podcast here was like, if they're giving up 31 points to the Dolphins with a third-string quarterback, how how are they gonna stop Joe Burrow? You know, and that that's really what happened. They weren't able to. And I think that you know, a lot of it is unfortunate too. Tradavius White you know, probably their best cornerback got hurt last year, like in their playoff run or somewhere around there. I think he tore his Achilles. And so he was out most of the year. He came back later on. And I don't think he's gotten kind of up to full health. Jordan Poyer has been back and forth in and out of the lineup. And he's a really good player. But I think that it's one of those things where he's trying to kind of come back faster than he should. And because of that, he keeps on getting more injured And obviously, you know, the the horrible tragedy tragedy, uh, with DeMar Hamlin. And he was a starter, right? He was a starting defensive back on their team. And now he had a backup in there playing against the bank. And then the backup got hurt. Right. So you're having a third string defensive back. And so all this stuff just adds up to they just they just didn't really have much left. The last thing I'll say is that a lot is being made about kind of the whole Josh Allen situation. Right. He's an amazing quarterback. He can put the team on his back, but you're kind of going to get those inherent sloppy plays where he's either loose with the ball and he's throwing interceptions or he's holding it, to, he's holding on to it too long and he either gets sacked or he fumbles or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but, but I think that, you know, it's just one of those things where I, there's just too much expectations, I think on this Bills team and they haven't won in so long, or they have never actually even won a Super Bowl. Um, And, and the, you know, the fan base is so loyal. They love their team and every, and it's just like, they've just become this great story, but I just think it was a little bit too early they they had so much early success that now when they're not meeting those expectations of basically winning the Super Bowl, it's basically like the season is a loss. So you think about think back two years ago when they played the chiefs, they got to the AFC championship. Nobody was really expecting that. That was kind of Josh Allen's come at come out period of of when he was actually kind of beginning to get really good. They make it to the AFC championship and they lose that kind of heartbreaker to the chiefs. And that was that, you know, that, that, that picture of Stefan Diggs kind of watching the Chiefs celebration, everything like that. And then, Really, every year since then, both of the years since then, they've lost in the division round of the playoffs. They haven't even gotten to the NFC Championship, and so it's one of those things where, oh, the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. They're the you know the projected favorites to entering the season and all this, but they haven't really done much. Like they haven't had the success that you've even that you're even like putting these expectations on. So, is it really fair to even say that? Oh my gosh, this is such a horrible loss, and this is you know. Th- th- a failure of a season because they didn't make the they make the conference championship game. I don't really know. I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a big sympathy guy, so I'm not going to come down too hard on them. And I don't know. I just keep going back to the fact that like Brian Dayball seeing what he did with Daniel Jones this year, like they were, the giants were one of the last eight teams left. Right in the playoffs. And yeah, they won they won a playoff game. They beat the Vikings okay, the Vikings are fraudulent but you know whatever. Jalen Jones has never looked like this before. He was throwing to practice squad receivers. But Brian Dayball made it work, you know? And so to some extent that's kind of what keeps going back in my mind is like maybe that guy is just the key. Obviously he turned Josh around's career around or at least worked with him in order to do so, but ever since he left it's it's just kind of the, you know, the the, turning the ball over has just kind of become more of Josh Allen's game. And that's what his game was like before Brian Dayball, before he kind of got, you know, became kind of what he is now. And the same was true with Jalen Jones. He gave the ball away two to three times a game. What happens when Brian Dayball goes there? He doesn't give the ball away and he, you know, he he plays smart and he, and he gets at the receivers and he does what he needs to do. And so I think that in some weird way, it's almost like, okay, yeah, it's fine, you know, without De- Brian Dable, and then we'll also just not really have a great defense and not really have a running game, but we're fine because we have Josh Allen, and it's like, at the end of the day, man, you can't put that much on this one guy who has, right, has been great and carried your team, but you, one quarterback cannot win a Super Bowl, right? You have to have three pieces of the game. Every other team left in the playoffs right now has a great defense, a great offensive line, and a great quarterback, or at least pieces around that quarterback that are also great, you know, and so, and so I think that's kind of where my explanation for the Bills' loss, like it makes sense in my mind. That's why I picked the Bengals prior to the playoffs even starting. That's why I thought the Bengals were going to win even before the game, and it really played out how I thought it would be. Now, did I expect them to win by three scores? Did I expect them to go up fourteen nothing and just absolutely dominate this game? No, I thought it would be a little bit closer. But really, everything that I said as an explanation for why I didn't think the Bills were going to win—that's kind of what—that's kind of what came true. And so, I mean, I'm not—you know—I'm not over here. It's not it's not a gloat fest on my part, even though I got the pick right. I'm just kind of explaining hopefully a little bit behind the scenes of what at least went through my mind, which seemed to kind of come true. And the fact that there are holes in this team. And as great as Josh Allen is, you can't just put, you know, your entire Super Bowl riding team and and the favorites to win the whole thing even entering the season just on one guy's shoulders who, you know, sometimes throws interceptions. I think that's kind of my my takeaway, but Hayden, what do you got on the Bengals and the Bills? Hey, the Bills were your Super Bowl team, Hayden. You thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. So what do you uh what, what was your takeaways kind of from after the with the aftermath of this game?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't really have much else from what you said. You kind of you kind of summed up a lot of a lot of what I was going to say, but yeah, I mean, the Bills are my Super Bowl team. I thought they were going to be able to get it done. I was kind of, I thought it was kind of destiny for this year again. I, and when I, whenever I said that to people, people would think that I would, I was just saying that just because of the DeMar Hamlin thing and everything like that. Like, yeah, I mean, th- that was a terrible tragedy, like Matt said, but teams move on from that kind of stuff. And I thought that this year was, I I just genuinely thought that this year was the, the bills year. I didn't really think that anybody was going to get in their way, but I think Matt's right. It was kind of their own fault. They had kind of gotten their own way rather than the, Bengals getting in their way, or whoever else getting in their way. I mean, really, it was only the Bengals because they that's the team that beat them. But yeah, I, I think that the Bengals are a great team. Uh, I think that they, sh- you know, the, the way that they showed out against the Bills, I don't, I think that people are going to take this as. Kind of like a, what the, what they took the Cowboys as when the Cowboys beat the Bucks. Everybody, you know, Dak threw for five touchdowns against the Bucks. Everybody was saying, oh, the Bucks defense is pretty good. They have been pretty good for the past couple of years. And the Cowboys ended up blowing out the Bucks in the wild card round. So they're going to have a really good chance against the 49ers. But it was like, not really. I mean, yeah, they only lost by a touchdown to the 49ers. And I'll get to that in a little bit because that's the game that I'm going to analyze. But I, I don't want people to fall into the trap of thinking that the Bengals are just this godlike team that are going to roll over the Chiefs because they're not. The I do not think that they're going to roll over the Chiefs. I think that the the they'll probably still win against the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is not 100%. But let me tell you if Patrick Mahomes was 100%, the Chiefs would win this game coming up. I I'm telling you right now Patrick Mahomes would not lose this game because he's lost three straight to the Bengals and that's not a good look for him. But the fact that he's hurt, the fact that he has some kind of high ankle sprain, I think it is. And the and what he looked like on Saturday when he got hurt and he came back into the game and kept on playing, that wasn't good at all. I mean, that's, that's something that you never really want to see. But that really tells me that he's not going to be a hundred percent for this game for this game coming up. He might not be limping as much as he was over the weekend, but let me tell you, he's definitely going to have that thing taped up to the max and, It's going to limit him from making those Superman plays that he always makes and those Superman plays that in the end, at the end of it all, win the Chiefs games. And that's why, again, that's why he's getting paid $50 million a year. And that's why he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, I just think that people are kind of blowing this Bengals win out of proportion a little bit because, like Matt said, the Bills weren't really ready in the first place to beat the Bengals, I don't think because of their defense being beat up and because of their running game struggling a little bit, they had a little, they had some hope. Or they showed some hope of a running game during the season, but then they they kind of fell apart. I don't know why they stopped using it, but there was a couple of games here and there where they had like a hundred yards rushing, um, you know, not really including Josh Allen, but just the running backs they had a hundred yards rushing, but they kind of fell off from that. But yeah, I mean, I, that game was kind of disappointing for me, but I'm going to talk about the Cowboys 49ers for a little bit. Essentially, my, my take from this game is that the Cowboys did a great job on defense against the 49ers. They proved that you can stop the 49ers. But another thing that I have to say about this game, and that I think this is kind of what I'm going to talk about more in the preview for the NFC Championship, so I'm going to kind of stay away from this. But I think we should look at the Cowboys' defense and say, OK, they're fine on defense. They don't, they don't need to change anything on defense. They got Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn's he might get hired as a head coach somewhere else after this year. We don't really know. But um, I mean, I think if he stays, that's a great. uh, It's obviously a great thing for the Cowboys. But what we need to look at on the Cowboys is the quarterback and the running back position. Okay, we have Dak, a quarterback who I think by now, I mean, I think he's been in the the league for, what, seven years now. And he hasn't proved to me except for his rookie year. He hasn't proved to me that he can make it past the divisional round. And that's another stat that the Cowboys have, I think in their last 12 playoff appearances, they haven't made it to, or they haven't made it past the divisional, the, the divisional round into the NFC championship. That's the least out of any other team in their past 12 playoff appearances. So that just gives you some insight on how the Cowboys just choke every time in the playoffs and can't get to kind of like the semi big game, you know, the NFC championship, but Right. I think that at this point, if you look if you watch this game and you saw the interceptions that Dak threw, they were just absolutely abysmal. Both of those interceptions that he had were kind of early on in the game. I think they were both in the first half. And so at one point he was he had like 90 yards and two picks as his stat line and it was just not looking good at all for them. They kind of came back more towards the second half or like towards the end of the first half and evened it up a little bit, but both of those picks that he threw were totally on him. I mean, one of them was one of them, I think, was against like a, a basic cover two. Uh, there was another one in the second half that he threw. It was I, I watched some analysis on this too. It was a basic cover three. It was like literally the most stock cover three coverage you can get. They were only rushing four guys. There was no blitzes. They had two hook to curl guys on you know as linebackers, and they they had the the three thirds. So they had the two corners going to the thirds, one safety going to the thirds, and it was just a stock cover three coverage. They had like an out route and then a hitch route. And he could either throw to the out route or the hitch route, right, the hitch route on the outs. I mean, on the right side, he chose to throw to the hitch route, which hooked to curl like a hook to curl linebacker. His assignment is basically to cover that hitch on the inside slot. And then he had an out to CD lamb, which is wide. like an out route is always going to be wide open. A short five yard route is always going to be right wide open to the outside and a cover three coverage. And he just totally ignored cd lamb and threw to the tight end he was lucky he didn't get picked off because if it would have gotten picked off by Greenlaw, it would have been returned for six and that would have kind of sealed the game right there i think that was also with like three minutes left to go in the game so that was i think that was that three and out that he had uh with three minutes left to go and everybody was like all right well this is it you know Dak, he's down by one touchdown they've got three minutes left on the clock he's He's on his own 25 or 20 yard line or whatever. Let's see what he can do. And then they go three and out and he almost throws a pick six. And it's like, dude, this is not the guy that you want in these situations. I understand that quarterbacks make mistakes, but Dak has not been good and he has not been good on a consistent basis. So what do I getting from this? They need to let him go, but why won't they let him go? Because they're paying him so much money. So that's that's the kind of like the roadblock that we're at here with Dak it's unfortunate but it's the reality of, of the situation the same thing with their running back Ezekiel Elliott like he needs to go too because we all know that Tony Pollard is far superior to, to to uh to Zeke in this offense and do I think that the Cowboys would have won if Tony Pollard didn't get hurt right at the beginning of the game no I don't think that he's that much of a game changer he is a game changer definitely but I think that the 49ers still would have pulled it out, but I think that this game kind of like the game flow after Tony Pollard got hurt kind of showed or emphasized the fact that Zeke needs to go. But again, they're paying him a lot of money. I think they're, I think he's like the third, second or third highest paid running back in the NFL right now. He's nowhere near the second or third best running back in the NFL right now. So we need to look at Dak and Zeke in this offense. Again, they had a great rookie year, both of them, when they were both rookies, one of the best, rookie combos that you'll ever see out there in an offensive backfield. But now after seven years, they haven't, they haven't proved to us that they're improving at all. So there, there needs to be a change here on offense for the Cowboys. A lot of people are pointing fingers at Michael Gallup too. I don't think that Michael Gallup is at fault at all. I think, I mean, Michael Gallup has, has in fact, been really good in past years. It's just that, that this year when the Cowboys offense can't really do anything, he's kind of he's kind of um i guess backtracking a little bit but yeah i mean in terms of the 49ers again i'm going to talk more about the 49ers in our preview so i won't talk too much about them but right i mean they were able to stay in this game but we saw that a defense is able to stop them and that kind of makes me a little bit worried about this eagles matchup for the 49ers cuz a lot of people i mean a lot of people including myself have the 49ers going to the super bowl or at least have said that so i'm going to stick with my word but this performance by the by the Cowboys defense did show us some of the weaknesses in the 49ers team I don't know Matt if you want to move on to the preview of the NFC championship and the AFC championship or if you want to talk about one of the other games briefly or whatever
1: yeah well probably I'm just going to kind of follow up on your Cowboys thing there which is I mean yeah we don't the teams that won obviously you know the Eagles the Chiefs and the 49ers all kind of you know they kind of crush it that's why I want to talk about at least by the Bills and the Bengals because that was kind of the only upset at least from the weekend but here, here's the deal with the Dak thing. All right. The media is calling him the best quarterback remaining in the NFC. Like after that playoff win against the bucks. Okay. And obviously you have Jalen hurts, Jalen Jones and, and, uh, and Brock Purdy. So it's not too much competition. Right. But then you think about the other quarterbacks in the NFC, there's not even really that many that are better than Dak or at least have, you know, put up seasons like he had, you know, gotten to 12 win seasons, multiple different times. So here's the deal is that, and and again, right. I think that's that was the, the main problem is that after the game against the Bucs, where, and I said it, like the Bucs don't even deserve to be in the playoffs because they're an eight and nine team. They're have a losing record in the regular season. They don't deserve to be in the playoffs. It doesn't matter if they had Tom Brady or not. They weren't a good team all year. And so they go up against the Cowboys team who is competent, who has a good defense, who has Dak and, and, and Tony Pollard and all these guys who are actual playmakers. Cowboys were one of the four best teams in the NFC and they made it to that round and then they lost. So that, I think that's again, expect, it all comes down to expectations, but I think that they lost in the game that they were expected to lose in. That's totally fine. So I don't know why so much, you know, hate and so much, everything's being thrown around here. And I get the point of all of this is the fact that in the NFL, you're trying to win a Super Bowl, And if you're America's team and everybody, you know, the, you have the most fans in the world, those fans are going to want to see you win at some level at some point. Okay, fine. All right, but but here's the deal: is that at the end of the day, what happens is Dak Prescott turns into well, goes from being the best quarterback in the NFC, or you know he's he had a godly performance in the playoffs playoff game against the Bucks and the game they won you know by 20 points and and there was never even close and everything like this to then now people are saying get rid of him. He he shouldn't be the, the the quarterback of the Cowboys. And obviously a lot of this is media related and there's not that many football games going on, so there's not as many topics to talk about. And he's also on the Cowboys, so that's going to dominate the media coverage as well. Right. But we, we can't have these, these, it just, it can't go this quickly. Uh, you can't turn on someone this quickly, or you at least you can't prop up someone this much saying they're the best quarterback in the NFC to then go, no, they need to get rid of him and they need to start, start all over. Cause here's the thing. And, and I'm honestly on the, the former side of this. I don't think he's the best quarterback in the NFC, but how many people are better than him? And, of those teams or of those quarterbacks that are better than him, how many are on teams that are actually really successful as well, right? I mean, you think about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. They didn't have good seasons this year, but they're Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. If they have the correct pieces around them and stuff, like they've proven that they can get far in the playoffs before. Last year, Packers won the NFC Championship. Actually, three out of the last four years, Packers won it, or two out of the last three years, Packers were in the NFC Championship. The Bucks won the Super Bowl two years ago. They got to the divisional round last year, right? Those quarterbacks are still really great. Other quarterbacks in the NFC, there's really not that many of them, right? So that's the thing is, like, if you're going to get rid of Dak or you're calling to get rid of Dak, who, who are you going to get? Kirk Cousins? You know, there's just not that many options. And there's not that many solid, good quarterbacks in the league right now. And I think that that's kind of, it's taking away from the success that good quarterbacks are having, right? I mean, Dak had a good year. They went 12 and, four, 12 and 5, man. Like, that's a good season. And realistically, if the Eagles didn't have a legendary season this year, Cowboys could have got the number one seed. They legitimately could have, right? So that's, and if you think about it that way, and they're playing all their home games and they're in the playoffs, yeah, probably they still choke at some point because they're the Cowboys, but it doesn't all fall on Dak's shoulders being like he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. Now, obviously he had a bad game, Yes, he had a a very bad game. Hayden mentioned the defense was helping them out, man. The defense stopped the 49ers offense, which has been scoring like 35 points a game for, you know, the last two months here. All right. You know what the the Cowboys also did their offensive line held up pressure. The defensive, the 49ers defense is the best in the league. Okay. They gave Dak time. They made, they had running lanes for Tony Pollard before he got hurt. Zeke, in the few runs that they didn't have looked okay, right? There were holes in the defense. The Cowboys offensive line played really well. And in a game like that, Dak has to perform, right? Because he's, given, he's, he's being given time against the best defense in the league. Now, obviously the best defense in the league is not just their front, right? You have Fred Warner, you have, you know, Javarius Ward and all these guys who are really great players at their first respective positions in the defensive backfield, but it, he looked completely lost in comparison to a game against the bucks where he looked like amazing. He looked amazing. Right. So I think that that's kind of the, it's, it's tough because, there's always going to be a narrative coming out of all these games, but the the fact that we're changing it up so quickly, I just don't agree with that. And I think that at the end of the day, like find someone, maybe Kellen Moore's the problem, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know football well enough to determine whether or not the play calling is the problem here. But what I do know is that the most successful coaches understand the talent that they have at the quarterback position or, you know, whatever position and they build the team, either build a team around that quarterback or they build a scheme that will fit that quarterback the best and become successful as a result. So and there's multiple examples of this right look what look what doug peterson did in jacksonville they were 2 and 15 last year they had the worst record in the league they got the number one pick and they were the first team in the in nfl history to have the worst record in the nfl and then win a playoff game in their next season and it's doug peterson he he knows how to coach he said trevor lawrence is, an, is a is a once in a generation t- talent we're going to build the system around him we're going to make it work and they did right so i think that it's just like that that's the type of mentality that we have to have is and same with lamar jackson uh Greg Roman is the offensive coordinator in the the Ravens. They build the offense around Lamar Jackson. He looks amazing when he's out there, obviously he's hurt now slash holding out who really knows, but like that's been successful for them. So if it's, if it's, if it's Mike McCarthy or if it's Kevin Moore, who, who isn't developing Dak in the correct way, or at least making the scheme around him as they should, then fine. That's the problem. But I don't think that Dak is the problem. And I don't think that they should just try to be trying to buy out his $40 million a year contract. Zeke is a different problem. Hayden mentioned Zeke. I completely agree with that. It's they shouldn't have paid him in the first place, but it is what it is. But the whole thing with, you know, getting rid of Dak's contract, just because you think he, you know, he, he sucked in a, in a divisional round playoff game. Like it's hard. Only one team wins the super bowl every year, man. And and sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce your way. And so I think that that's kind of just the, the faith that the Cowboys have and right. Maybe they won't win a super, maybe Dak just isn't good enough to win a super bowl. I could like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Do you see Dak Prescott winning a super bowl? I don't really, but again, I would take him over most of the other play, you know, quarterbacks in the NFC, right. And if that's the case or, you know, drafting a number one overall prospect from next year, you never know what you're going to get. So it's just, there's so much uncertainty, but the fact is like, you have a good quarterback who's better than most of the quarterbacks in the league. You gotta, you gotta see what you can do for him and around him. And, and that's, I think going to be the future of the Cowboys, if they can figure it out great. And if they don't, they really have it up until now. And I don't have much faith in them to do it here from here on out. They might just be kind of this for the rest of his career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And I've, I feel like I've been one that's kind of been low on deck all along. I don't know. I, I have never really liked Dak, especially like the past couple of years. I mean, even but like,
1: okay, you've never might have never liked him, but like, you would agree that he's not he's not a bad quarterback in comparison to the talent that's like in comparison to his peers, either in the NFC. Like, cause, I mean, the AFC has a bunch of good quarterbacks, young quarterbacks. Okay, great, but at least the quarterbacks in the NFC to where like in the in late in the playoffs, this is this is the type of stuff that's gonna get them to the Super Bowl. You, like, there's not, yeah. I mean, I don't really like him that much either. I don't like the Cowboys in general, but like, I can't really argue with the fact that he there's not that many people better than him I don't know maybe you think maybe you think don't think so
0: yeah I mean he's 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 shown potential that he can have good games and then he can throw for 400 yards easily in a game because I, I mean even in past seasons I think he's been up like with some of the you know some of the highest amounts of yards and in their in, in, passing yards in the league like top three or something like that a couple times um in past seasons but yeah I, I just think that like the Cowboys are at his point where and again like Matt said I mean they're their fan base is, is really kind of creating all this. And even people who aren't their fans are creating it like me. But like, I, I think at this point you, you really just need to look at it. And from a, from kind of like a longevity standpoint and just be like, dude, this, this just isn't working out. I think Dak still has two or three years left on his contract. So, I mean, nobody else is going to want to have to want to have to pay that contract. If they get Dak in some trade or something like that, there, no, nobody else is going to want to have to pay that, but that's kind of where the Cowboys are at right now. They they've got to face whatever it is that they're going to do with him. And and obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but it'll be interesting to see. So with that being said, yeah, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the 49ers and the Eagles game. Cause I kind of already gave my, I mean, I'm, you guys already know my thoughts on the AFC championship. Um, You know, I don't think there's much else to say other than Patrick Mahomes is hurt and we're going to have to see how it goes and see how healthy he is when it comes game day. But the Eagles and 49ers game, the thing that I wanted to say about the 49ers that I saw lacking a little bit in the Cow- the game against the Cowboys and the divisional round was the running game. They need to stick with the running game, dude. I don't know why they moved away from it. I don't know why they were trying to pass so much. Maybe it was because the game was fairly close for most of the game. I, mean, I think it was always within like 10 points or so for the whole game or maybe like within 13 or something. like I mean, it, it was within under 15 points, I think, for the whole game. So maybe they felt like they needed to kind of get out to more of a lead because they were worried that it was going to go away in some capacity. Cause I'm, to be fair, like in past games, they've gone down maybe like on the first drive by seven points and then they just come back and they score time after time. Like Mal was saying, I mean, they score 35 points and the other score, the other team scores like seven and it's just, you, you're looking at the TV and you're like, where did this come from? But what they need to do is stick with the running game. That's what they're good at. They got Chris McCaffrey for a reason. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And they have one of the best offensive schemes in the league. If you run the ball and you run a good scheme, there's not much that can stop you. Now, I have been one in the past to say that a running team or a run-focused team is never going to win a Super Bowl in the passing era that we're in right now with the NFL. I still firmly believe that. That's why I still think that they're not going to win the Super Bowl. Do I think that they'll go to the Super Bowl? Yes, I think that they will beat the beat the Eagles. I don't know. Again, I, I have said that I don't think that Jalen Hurts is ready to lead his team to a Super Bowl yet. He might in the future, but yeah, I I think that the 49ers, what they need to do in this game is really focus on the running game. Now I know the Eagles defensive front might be a little bit better. Like their, their defensive line in particular might be a little bit better, but still, I mean, the 49ers and the Eagles defense are very similar in the way in the sense that they're both just really good. Like they're both really good against anything that you do really. And so what you need to do is stick to your strengths, which I do think is the running game. We saw it at the end of the, game against the Cowboys. They started running with Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell and they were getting like seven or eight yards of pop. I mean, play after play after play, they were just moving the ball and that's what was able to put the Cowboys away. So I think that they need to do that against the Eagles. They, they should start the game out like that. Again, don't try to do anything that's uncharacteristic. That's what a lot of these teams do in big games like this. They move away from things that they're good at. And I don't know why teams do that, but it happens all the time. And. If we see the the 49ers come out and try to pass a bunch with Brock Purdy and try to put the ball in Brock Purdy's hands for him to throw 45 times in this game, they're not going to win. I guarantee you they are not going to win this game. But if they do stick to the running game and they do trust in Trish, Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell and that offensive line and in Brock Purdy every once in a while when they need a big third down conversion or something like that, that's fine. But again, stick to these run plays, stick to Debo Samuel, you know, motioning him, distracting the defense with him. And do what you're good at. That's that's my advice for the 49ers. I really hope that they stick to that because if they don't, I guarantee you they will lose this game.
1: The the funny thing that I've seen about this game, just kind of all week, is I've been kind of consuming content and whatever it may be. <clears throat> I Guess I gotta uh, gotta go back to the seventh grade. There I had a had a pretty big voice crack. Like, hey, I sound like Aiden. What are we doing? Uh, um, the, the, everything I've seen about this game is the fact that. You know, oh, well, you know, the 49ers, are they, they they have to go to Lincoln Financial Field and play the Eagles. That's a tough place to play. Brock Purdy, obviously, like, only his third road game, whatever. He still hasn't looked like a rookie. He's going to be made to look like a rookie by some team along the way, and it has to be the Eagles right now. And then on the other side. Well, the Eagles, man, like, you know, they've kind of skirted through the playoffs so far. They had a first-round bye, then they played the Giants, who are probably the most fraudulent team in the NFL this season besides the Vikings basically so second most fraudulent team in the NFL they crushed him Jalen Hurst didn't have to play he might still be hurt 49ers defense they're not gonna let him up man so what do we have here we basically have the fact that this is just gonna be a really good game okay By two teams who haven't really had the hardest schedule to end the regular season as well as you know so far in the playoffs and who are going to be playing each other as the two best teams in the NFC that's that's really what it is and I think that Again, you know, Hayden kind of got deep into it. I'm not even going to go that deep. I think that it just is right. Play, play what you're good at, but like, just realize that it, the defense that's across from you is better than any defense that you faced this season, right? And your offense is also probably the best offense that they faced this season. That, that defense, that respected defense, right? In different ways, obviously, you know, both of them are, are, are more, you know, running teams. The 49ers are you know, kind of more, you know, running back centric laws, whereas the Eagles obviously can utilize Jalen Hurts and his mobility. Both of them like to run the ball, but both of them are great at passing the ball. I mean, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith have been weapons for Jalen Hurts this whole season. And obviously, I think that, you know, he's probably been a little bit more successful passing the ball in terms of just, you know, across an entire season's worth of of work compared to Brock Purdy, who only started, you know, seven games. And but in those seven games. Guess what his record is? It's seven and zero. Like he's averaging, you know, two hundred like seventy five yards and, and two touchdowns a game. Uh, yeah, he doesn't turn the he doesn't turn the ball over. And obviously, right, he's putting the great system with Kyle Shanahan. But so do the the Eagles have the great system too for for Jalen Hurts. So I think these are very very similar teams. They're teams that like to run the ball first. They're teams that have great great offensive lines. And these are probably the two best defenses in the NFL, right? I mean, even better than the Chiefs and the Bengals defense in my mind, right? So that's that's what this game is going to come down to. I think it's going to be very, it's it's going to be very tough, probably very low scoring. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, right. Yeah. The Eagles. Okay. They have the, they have the home field advantage, but I mean, of any team facing a home field advantage or home field disadvantage, AKA they're going to the other team's home field. I think the 49ers are the perfect team to be able to win in an environment like that. Right. I mean, you know, you have a great defense, shut down their offense. You have a, a, you know, you run the ball on offense, silent count doesn't really matter. Like, you know, you, you play a t- hard, tough nosed football and it, it, it's it's kind of going to work out for you. I think better than, you know, a, a, a more of a finesse team who was relying on the passing game, short, quick passes. The defense maybe, you know, wasn't that great. So I think of any team, the 49ers are the best built team to be able to, to take on a task like this and just come out as the winners. Obviously in my predictions and everything, I have the 49ers, Winning, I, it just, it's so tough. It's like, everybody is expecting just because of how well the Eagles played against the Giants and they did play well, right? But Jalen Hurst didn't really have to do that much. I didn't expect them to win by 31, but I also knew that they would win the game, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, like they won the game. That's really what all that matters. 49ers won their game as well. So I had the 49ers to win in like my predictions and that's just kind of, I mean, I'm going to roll with it just because I think they are the better team overall, but you know, we'll be surprised if the Eagles win this game. Not really. They're the favored. They're they're favored to win the game, right? It's at their home field. So I do think they'll have a, you know, a good bit of advantages there. Um and so I, I'm just I think this is I, I'm just really excited to watch the game. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and have any hot takes. I just think that it's funny how everybody's making the storylines as like it's just going to be so tough to play these teams when it's like, okay, well, good. They're going to play and we're going to see what happens. And it's probably going to be low scoring. It's probably gonna be a lot of run plays It's going to be good defense and it's going to be, you know, good football overall. So um, those are kind of my thoughts on the, on the Eagles 49ers. I know not, not, not super deep, not super football uh, oriented and in, in deep analytics or whatever, but you know, I'm, I'm excited for the game and, and just to see kind of whatever team comes out on top. We'll really know is the best team. Um, so I, I think that's really cool about, at least about this game. Um, Hayden, what do you got on the Bengals and the chiefs? you talked about it a little bit already, obviously with the, you know, the Holmes thing, who knows if he's going to be healthy, whatever, but you know, what, what's your, at least your, your early prognostications as we, as we sit here on Wednesday night.
0: Yeah. So Wednesday night I'm thinking, right. You can't really make much predictions because you don't know where Patrick Mahomes is at. I, we already know that the chiefs are not going to say anything this week about Patrick Mahomes at all, because when you've got a guy as good as him and a guy that makes as much of a difference on the field as him and he's hurt or he may be hurt. You never want to say anything too early because then you give the other team an advantage into knowing whether or not he'll be actually healthy, whether they should prepare for him enough or a lot or whatever. Like they, I mean, obviously the Bengals right now, the Bengals defense is preparing for Patrick Mahomes no matter what, because otherwise they're going to have Chad Henney out there who is actually like, one of my favorite players the other day, one of my roommates asked me, and this was not when Chad Henney came on the field either. This was, this was far before this AFC championship game. And one of my roommates that I live with asked me uh, who's, who's like my random NFL player that I like for no reason. And I said, Chad Henney, just cause I don't know. He's just like, he's, he's always, I mean, he was a starter at one point and then he kind of fell off and became a backup. I think that pipeline from being a starter in the NFL to becoming a very trustworthy backup is just always really funny. So yeah. I just love Chad Henney also is, I mean, his name is Chad and it's a funny name and in, in its nature. Anyway. Yeah. Basically, you know, that the Bengals are preparing for, for Patrick Mahomes. There's not much else to say here for me. I don't, I don't, I mean, again, we kind of covered how the bang, how good the Bengals are. They don't really have many flaws. Um, I look, you know, I look at Joe Burrow and and I'm think that I'm looking at the next really, really big quarterback. I mean, it's going to be him and Patrick Mahomes for the next, you know, 10 years here in the league. So barring any like crazy things that happen or any injuries, which hopefully, right. I don't want to jinx that praying that that doesn't happen, but right. These are going to be the next two guys for, for next 10 years. And they're going to be great to watch. I mean, we're going to see so many more matchups of these guys in AFC championship games, you know, during the regular season, during the playoffs everywhere. We're going to see, we're going to be so see so many more matchups, but what I am looking at is, is this kind of, you know, last three games where the, the, the Bengals have won I'm looking at that, and I'm saying if if it becomes four now, I I don't know what Patrick Mahomes will do. I don't know how the media will cover it. But again, if he goes out there and he's limping, like you can't really say much. But my prediction is is the Bengals moving on to the Super Bowl, and then I've got um, I've got the the Bengals winning it all over the 49ers. So yeah, that's my prediction. There we go.
1: I, I'm I'm obviously very excited for this game as well. Um, everyone is having the who's better Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes debate, and I, I don't even want to spend that much time on it. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Okay. It's it's not it's not a competition. He's the best. And and I get it that when the when the cards are stacked against a guy like Joe Burrow or nobody believes in him and everything, he performs and he does it with the coolest, swaggiest way possible. But dude, you cannot, I mean <laughs> Mahomes obviously he already has an MVP. He already has a Super Bowl, he's already won a Super Bowl, right? They've gotten to the AFC championship five times in a row. And this is the reason, this guy is the reason that they're here. So I think that the debate needs to stop. Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. But what happens now is that he has a high ankle sprain. And so he's not. The Patrick Mahomes that is the best quarterback in the league. Oh, he he led the league in in passing yards and passing touchdowns this past year, by the way. Gonna win an MVP, gonna win his second MVP. I should have said that at the beginning. He already has an MVP in a Super Bowl victory. He's gonna win another MVP this season because he was the best quarterback. He led all stats and everything. He is the team. But he's one of those guys that can be the team, and it's fine. The Chiefs also their defense is really underrated. Okay, so I mean, Chris Jones is an absolute beast. Frank Clark, they said during the game, I think, or maybe it was on a, I think it was said this during the game, or maybe it was on a podcast I was listening to after. Clark, Frank Clark has like the the third or fourth most sacks in play in postseason history by like any player. Like what? Okay, cool. Like, didn't know that, but he's a beast. And when it comes to the playoffs. So I think the chiefs defense is really underrated. And obviously they've gotten here so many times. They know it. They, they, they've done it before. And the Bengals have too. the Bengals did it last year, right? They went into Kansas city and they, and they, and they beat the chiefs. Um, it's just, it, it really does. It comes down to Mahomes' injury. We don't know much about it. Hayden nailed it, but we're not going to know until the game starts. Um I still think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I think Patrick Holmes is the best quarterback in the league. I think that he's able to work with an injury on which he's going to be able to stand at least. And after a week of rest, he was, I mean, he played the rest of the game, right? He was, he was hobbling. He was handing the ball off, but he came in and he won the game. Uh, and obviously right, it was the Jaguars and the Jaguars are not as good as the Bengals. I get that. Um, but I just, I think that, and, and, I, and this goes back to all the way to the beginning of the podcast, what I was talking about, the thing, the Bengals versus the Bills is that. I think that, I mean, the bills were, the bills shouldn't have been six point favorites. They shouldn't have even been favored to win the game. Like, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not boasting myself up here. I'm just saying that there were clear holes in the bills team and the chiefs do not have any of those holes. They can run the ball. Isaiah Pacheco runs the ball probably as hard as I've ever seen anybody in in, in, as long as I've been watching football. Right. Derek McKinnon, great running back. Ronald Jones. He won a super bowl with the bucks. Now he's on the chiefs, but you didn't know that. Right. And their defense, as I mentioned, is already amazing too. So, this is a much different team than the, the Chiefs are, a much different team than the Bills. And yes, the Bengals went into Orchard Park in Buffalo. It was a snow globe. They date it. They came out on top, Snowborough. Everybody's saying it. Okay, cool. Right. But the Chiefs are a different level, man. And I understand the Bengals did it last year in the same exact position in a game that they were down 21 nothing and came back to win it. I got it. I, I believe me. I know it. I watched it. All right. But I just think it's it's the Chiefs have been waiting for this man. This is their time and and they and especially to the fact that okay, if Mahomes plays and he's not healthy or even if he's you know 60 70%, he gets another two if they win this game he gets another two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl and I think that's plenty of time for him to be able to help, be become you know 85 90% and man 85 90% of Mahomes is, is is still probably the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion. So, um, I just I think it, it all the factors just kind of coming in, I think it's just being blown in proportion. And I think the Chiefs are still going to win this game. Would not be surprised if the Bengals did again. I'm not saying I don't think the Chiefs are going to blow them out, I think it's going to be a very close game. And if the Bengals win, I, yeah, I could see that coming. The Bengals are really good. I mean, like I said, these are the four best teams in the league left. So, you know, and two of these teams are going to win. Than these games that we play. So um, yeah, that, that's just my prediction. At least I'm a little bit more convicted on the winner of this game as opposed to the 49ers Eagles. Um, and also because I want to totally tout my playoff predictions before the playoffs started, the fact that I had the Chiefs and the 49ers in the Super Bowl to begin with, and that would just be, that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, obviously, great weekend of football coming up, the the two best games. I mean, there's only three football games left, guys, so we got to soak it in while we have it. One sport that isn't being played right now is college football, so let's move into our topic on that. So there was a crazy story last week about a four-star quarterback recruit. His name was Jaden Rashada. He's from California, but he was originally committed to Miami. The uh, University of Miami, and then he flipped his commitment from Miami to the University of Florida, uh, based on a thirteen million dollar NIL package that was promised to him. Question mark. And the reason that I say that with, uh, with 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 not as much conviction is the fact that apparently the people who promised him the thirteen million dollars didn't actually have the money, and so the whole field the whole deal fell through, including Rashada's decommitment from Florida after the fact. So this is the first kind of NIL related scandal that we've seen, or at least, you know, a deal that was promised that really quick, pretty quickly uh, fell short or, or fell out completely. Um, so let's jump on it, right? Let's talk about it. What, what We kind of got to break this down. Um, I'm going to kind of tackle the first question here. What was the, what was well, the first question that we wrote at least, what was the legitimacy of this deal from the beginning? I'll hand it over to Hayden for, for the next question. Um I don't think this deal was really legitimate at all to begin with. I think that, and again, this is the whole new world with NIL is the fact that uh, you're, there's no regulations yet. There's no rules. There's no way for people or athletes or these um, the collectives that work for these organizations, for the, for these universities who are end up paying the players and have striking these NIL deals and whatever it may be, there's nothing to stop anybody from doing this type of stuff or just ha- really doing anything wrong in the first place, because, There is no right or wrong when there's no rules, right? So that's the first part of this is the fact that this could have happened however many times right now. And we just haven't heard of it because it hasn't been this large of a basically contract with, you know, with certain money guaranteed or whatever it may be. The other piece of this, everybody's saying it's $13 million is $13 million. That's probably not true. Okay. A lot of what the NIL deals are, at least kind of with the bigger quarterback recruits and and players that are, you know, being very heavily recruited is some sort of, some sort of like a contract, like in the NFL, where guys are being paid a certain amount of guaranteed money per year, and then they can also make up to a certain amount in bonus money per year based on how they play. Right, get a certain amount of touchdowns, you get an extra million dollars. Get a certain amount of receiving yards, whatever. Right, and again, it goes on. Win the Super Bowl, you get you get this bonus. Whatever. That's probably what this was. It was some sort of you know, okay, there was you know, there was a certain money, certain amount of money guaranteed, or there was a certain amount of money that was promised based on you know. Your, your kind of base level performance or whatever and then it, depending on how well you actually performed or what, how well you did how much of a star you became whatever it may be then you'd be promised kind of the full amount Hayden actually grabbed a quote uh, from Fox News basically it says I'm just going to kind of read it quote uh, quote while the reasons behind the deal falling apart are unclear the AP reported that not all the financial backers were aware that the deal had gone from around five million dollars to more than 13 million dollars end quote so That explains it a little bit more too, right? Where the fact that these people who were behind the deal, and again, it's like who are these people? So essentially, every university, or at least now that there's NIL, the bigger universities have what's all have what's called a collective, and the collective is basically just this mafia-like term for just a bunch of people, a bunch of rich people who want it, who want their programs to succeed, and so they've gotten together, they're pooling their their money and their resources, and they're going and getting money either from themselves and their own businesses or whatever that may be, as well as other people who are alumni from the university or other people who want to be you know bigger boosters uh, for the football program. Or basketball or whatever it may be, right? And so that's that's who these financial backers are, quote unquote. It's the collective from these universities who are behind paying the players NIL deals and, and kind of promising them to, to whatever, you know, whatever they're kind of doing at this point from forward. So that's the story here is is the crazy part is, he was, this guy, Jaden Rashada, he was committed to a whole other university to begin with, got in talks with these guys from Florida. These guys are telling him, you know, oh, we're you know we're going to have this much. And again, whether or not they actually said 13 million right up in the front, whatever. Even if they said, even if they said 5 million, even if that was the, the deal that was promised, probably a heck of a lot more than, than Miami seemed to be paying him, right? Because at the end of the day, he committed to Florida. He decommitted from Miami and then committed to Florida. But the fact of the matter is, this is a big deal. Right, because this is the first time that we've seen an instance where, in the new NIL era, where players are allowed to get paid based on you know their name, image, and likeness, this is so much money. And so, like, I and that's where I'm like, I'm not even sure how I don't even I don't even think that like if I'm Jaden Rashada, obviously you're very highly recruited. He wasn't even I think he was like in the top fifty. Like he wasn't even like a top ten recruiter or anything. And you're getting promised this much money can you, can you really not? I mean, obviously you never really know what people are capable of. And obviously it's Florida who has a very, I mean, they're one of the most storied uh, programs in college football history, but come on. Like if we think about it, right. How much is Aaron Rodgers making on his contract every year? Probably. I mean, just cause I'm a Packers fan, I think like 35 to 38 million, somewhere in that range. So you're telling me that you're going to pay Jaden a, a basically a quarter of what Aaron Rodgers makes one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL history just to, just to play at your school and you don't even know how good he is. Like you've seen him in seven on seven against high school players. That's where I think this is a little bit blown out of proportion. in the fact that like, I don't know, there might've been, and we don't know, right. The fact is like, we don't know what the parents were in the room with the collective deciding on this contract and signing on these things or whatever. But the fact of the matter is like, this, this probably wasn't going to happen from the beginning. And so it's one of those things where, you know, it's just going to be causing a huge mess. And, and really, I think, that kind of that that just causes a ripple effect for everyone. Right. Not only Jaden Rashada, who's now kind of probably his he and his family or whoever probably going to have to sue these guys. Right. So it's going to become a legal, a legal matter in the courts when at the same time, he's just trying to commit to college. Right. And play for a team. He's probably going to get NIL money from somewhere now because he's you know obviously kind of been promised all this money to begin with. And now he's going to be only going to really go somewhere else if they do pay him this much money. So this is a really, I think, a larger issue. And that's the that's the question that I'm gonna get to here for Hayden is what are the implications of this story going public, both for NIL recruiting in general, as well as Florida's recruiting specifically?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to use a little bit of my recruiting knowledge that I have from UVA football from working with UVA football for the past semester and also the beginning of this semester. Recruiting is like it's a huge thing. I mean, I would say that. I mean, the director of recruiting at UVA and really all the scouts that that work at UVA, other than maybe like the coaches, they probably work the most out of anybody in that office because recruiting is it's a a huge deal. I mean, it's how the program it's the backbone of the program. Basically, you are there every day. You're looking at transfer guys, high school guys every single day. So it's a huge thing. And now with NIL, especially for a school like UVA, which we don't really have our program doesn't really have the greatest reputation in terms of having a lot of success in recent years well and really in history for that matter i mean we haven't really been super super good anyway like we haven't really been a powerhouse anywhere or anytime but um but i mean especially now like we don't really have the funds to to be able to win over a guy like jaden rashada in recruiting like like florida does right so florida's sitting here and like matt said 13 million dollars is a lot but let me tell you The Gator Collective that offered him this $13 million or supposedly did. They're not affiliated with Florida University at all. So Matt said that it's kind of like just a bunch of rich guys who want Florida to do well, whether they're alumni or whatever. It's not officially affiliated with Florida. So Florida doesn't have any kind of like contact to them. And even, even if they did want to contact them the collective would probably be like, well, we're not going to listen to you because we have the money and you don't. So we have more money than you can offer to, to, you know, to kids, whether it's under the table, whatever. So it's like the Gator collective at at this point is, is really, it's scary, but it's like, they have all the power in this situation. And that's why this situation got exploited in the the way that it did, because right. There were some people on the Gator collective who are just a bunch rich people that and and fans of florida that right that they weren't aware that it was going to be this much and so they come out and they're like yeah well we thought it was only gonna be five million again like matt said 13 million five million like dude to a a kid that's coming out of high school who's gonna be a freshman in college like come on dude that's i mean the difference is it's a lot of money like it is that i mean 13 million is more than double five million but still five million dollars to a kid coming out of high school like You can't even dream of that, right? I mean, that's that just sounds so unattainable, but that's what Jaden Rashada was promised. And again, it's these kind of deals and whether it was official or not, whether it was like written down in paper or not, whatever, whether he signed his name, whether the Gator Collective signed their name, whatever. Nobody really knows the specifics of it. And so we're never going to know those. So we can't really like make any kind of conclusions based off of that. But the conclusion that we can make is essentially that Florida right now is is kind of screwed because of this and like we said I mean the Florida has no affiliation with the Gator Collective so they can't really come at the Gator Collective I, they may they may even try to sue the Gator I, I don't know it's it's going to be a crazy thing that happens from here on out and there's going to be a lot of things that that either happen or don't happen for whatever reason but the Florida Gators and the recruiting staff and Billy Napier who's their head coach who in college I mean if you guys don't already know like head football I mean yeah, head football coaches of college programs are the guys that that kind of are – they're more in charge of recruiting than in the NFL, obviously. But a guy like Billy Napier, who just came to Florida, I think – was it like 2021, I think he came to Florida. Essentially, Billy Napier is screwed here because he was notified that he was going to get a guy like Jaden Rashada. Again, for reasons that he didn't even really know, supposedly, because the Gator Collective is the one are the ones that persuaded Jaden Rashada to come there. But Billy Napier is sitting here like, oh, I just got some, you know, some four star QB. That's great. Obviously, he had some say in in whether he was going to be accepted into the program, whatever. But now he's gone and he's gone for reasons that he can't even control because it was the Gator Collective that lost this guy and not Billy Napier. So that's the way that Billy Napier screwed the way that Jaden Rashada is screwed. And I'll kind of end it off on this is Rashada is now put in a position where he has to I think I think he has to wait – well, he doesn't have to wait because he can sign his letter of intent really anytime kind of over this offseason, like the spring and summer, because he's not a transfer student. But the transfer portal has closed now. It, it closed on January 18th, so just a week ago it closed. What we're looking at now is all of the other college football programs, mainly Power 5 football programs, where he's going to want to go because he's a four-star recruit. Matt said he was top 50. I think he was like the 34th overall – player um and probably in the top 10 of qbs coming out of coming out of the 2023 class so he's a really good he's a really good player but after the transform transfer portal closes a lot of these teams have filled up a lot of their roster spots and so what is he going to have now he's going to have a limited pool to choose from in terms of colleges of where he wants to go and i mean yes a college will probably offer him a top college will probably offer him and say okay well you've got to earn your starting job or you got to earn the right to play that's how it should be right for for a guy just coming into college it should be like that he has to earn his playing time as a true freshman or they can redshirt him whatever but for him like this does really suck because he was promised all of this money and whether he was going to start or not at florida who cares dude he's making three 13 million dollars assuming or at least five million dollars right assuming that maybe you know the rest of that deal was kind of in incentives or whatever but it's like he's going to be making multi-millions at least and he could just be riding the bench in his first year. So it's like he's really screwed in that sense because most of the other teams have filled up a lot of the roster spots with the transfer portal closing. There, there's a lot of parties that are that are really just kind of, you know, getting their butts kicked with this whole situation. But, yeah, that's kind of my answer to the whole implication thing. There's there's a lot of, like I said, there's kind of a lot of implications that go a lot of different ways, um, and I hope that I kind of explain those well. But, Matt, what do you think? Well,
1: I think that it just, it's so unprecedented because there's never been something like this. And I think that it all, it, com- it comes down to the fact that too, these colleges, these universities have so much money inside the program. Obviously we did a, a month long series on this podcast back in August, talking about the whole NIL era, how much money the colleges make. I mean, the big 10 just signed a, a TV deal worth, I think, two billion dollars or whatever so each school is getting like 75 million dollars of that why can't we pay the players like obviously all this will be figured out eventually but the fact is this game has gotten so big and there's just so much that's going on all at the same time and the fact that there is so much money involved in this whole situation it's it's one of those things that like you, you can't even really comprehend what the right path should be and how much money these kids should make it sounds crazy to say that oh you know they should they should be making a million dollars a year but they are contributing to a business right being the university that's making a billion dollars a year so it's like the fact that and obviously right with the nfl like you have a collective bargaining agreement you have a players union you have the owners who you know collectively bargain with the players and they get a revenue split and all this stuff is decided but there's none of that stuff that's decided in college football, which is almost just as big of a business as the NFL collectively, obviously. So that's, I think the bigger picture here is the fact that like, now that we're starting to pay the players, but there are no rules and regulations on it, the amount of money that's in and around this sport and has art is just intrinsic to the sport itself and how, you know, the advertising and everything that's going on with the college football playoff. And, you know, obviously that's being expanded now. And just in general, coaches are getting paid you know tens of millions of dollars like there is just so much money involved in this sport now where in in which they haven't ever it's never been legal to pay the players before that now that we're starting to talk about this stuff the money is already so big that it's it's going to take some serious litigation to be able to even decide what is the right thing to do i mean I'm, I'm like i'm trying to i'm struggling even trying to get this stuff out like you know me you guys know me like i talk really fast because i know what i'm talking about and i'm thinking about it and i'm saying it right but with this stuff it's it's so interesting but it's so tough to tell just because there's no regulations that we, we we don't know what the future is and it's really just gonna just it's just gonna be the the wild west until something is figured out or some 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 laws or anything is figured out but i will say i'm here for it i love it because it's just like screw the ncaa they've completely monopolize this whole industry for you know hundreds of years now finally we're realizing the value of the players and how much they are really worth to these schools and these universities and the overall game right as a whole and so and so let's do it right let's figure it out it, it might take a few years well probably gonna take longer than that um but but at the end of the day like we're moving in the right direction and it's just gonna be crazy to see what ends up happening with these contracts, these, you know, these collectives, these schools, how the collectives work with the schools and how they're not really supposed to be inducing players to come financially or, or come inducing players to come to the school based on financial reasons, but really that's all that's been happening for the last year or so now that NIL is is, is legalized. So I, I think that that's really the interesting part of this is that This is kind of the bombshell. This is the first big thing in this space that's happened. The big kind of the first thing that's gone, you know, really wrong. And 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 Aiden mentioned, I mean, Florida is is screwed. I mean, this is like a stock, this is like a business where like someone, some auditor goes in and checks the balance sheets, and it turns out the business has never made any money, but their stock price is super high, and everybody sells the stock, and it's like you're bankrupt. Like, Florida could be bankrupt because of this. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, again, too, the funniest part is this was all promised by the collective who's not even supposed to be part of the university in the first place. Like, that's where this gets in so insane. And I, I love it. I love this. Stuff. I was talking about it. I just love theorizing what it could look like. Um, but I but I think that it's, it's cool to at least kind of just, we're just going to kind of walk through the story as it comes, as more things come out, not just this specifically this story, but just more instances like this where along the process that we are in terms of you know whether or not we are actually are going to have rules and regulations or not or if it'll just kind of continue to just go on like it is right now, um, but at the end of the day, like yeah, it's just I I think it's super cool how it, this can exist without any rules and regulations and the fact that you know the players who are bringing the value to these organizations are finally now at least getting the money or you know some piece of it that they have deserved to get all along uh, and and when they're not able, or when the people who are promising them this money are not able to come up with that money, it only empowers the players more and it only brings down the businesses that are the universities. So you can't even call them universities because they're businesses at this point. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the coolest part too, is it's, you know, it's it's almost an underdog story where these 18 year old kids who some of them, you know, grew up and didn't even have shelter to live in when they were going to school as, you know, in elementary school um, are, are now worth millions and millions of dollars. And they have all the power, um, which I think is super, just super cool. I think that's kind of a perfect way uh, to end at least this segment.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that this is kind of, I like to think this of this as more of a a little piece to our PhD thesis that we're doing on the demise of the NCAA here, which is, which we started with the NCAA doomsday series back at the end of season two. If you have listened to it, go listen to it. It's four episodes long. If you're still here, Listening to this, I guarantee if, if you've enjoyed this segment at all, I guarantee you, you would enjoy our NCAA Doomsday Series episodes, which again, episode 61 through 64 of season two, we back, did it back in end of July slash early August. So go listen to those if you haven't already. And if you like what you hear. So we were going to do an NBA or NBA segment after this, but we're already over an hour here. We're already kind of going over on time. You guys know we kind of like to keep it to an hour 10 minutes or shorter, hour 20 minutes or shorter. So we're going to end it off here. This NBA topic that we're going to do in the future, I'm not going to say too much about it again. It's about the All-Star game, but I'm not going to say what you guys can probably guess from if you've been following it at all, but um but yeah, we're going to we're going to save it for a later episode because All-Star All-Star weekend doesn't happen until the week after the Super Bowl. So we've got plenty of time. It's mid to end of February when when the All-Star game happens. So that'll happen on, on a later date maybe next episode so with that being said yes we will end off this episode here hope you guys enjoyed it uh again go follow us on twitter first down rd pod if you haven't already um we don't have many followers anyway so you probably haven't and if you're still listening to this you should go follow it so do that uh we will be back this coming weekend hopefully with an episode maybe saturday ish um we'll have we'll have to think about that we'll have to discuss that me and matt But thank you guys for listening again. Very much appreciate it. And we will catch you guys in the next one.